while they are uh, passing that around. Hopefully you uh, found the notes on your table. And uh, as Susan was sharing with our kids, yes, we are uh, picking up um, in John 14, <clears throat> and we'll finish uh, this chapter. We're going to really pick up in, uh, in verse 18, down through the end of this chapter, uh, and, and finish this chapter. Here's what's fascinating, kind of to try to set the pace uh, as we look at this tonight. You might not realize it, but this passage we're about to look at is highly charged. As a matter of fact, it's somewhat, uh, it's actually very controversial. Uh, There are uh, doctrines and things set on uh, some things that are said here that are um, amazing, um, and some of which I believe are just wrong, uh, mainly because people have a tendency to not read their Bible and read it in context. Um, And that means when you read it in context, it's from cover to cover. It's the section you're reading, but also cover to cover. So let's just, uh, let's look at this, go down through here, um, and start with these first three verses as we dive off into this, and we pray that God would honor the reading of His Word, amen? So starting with verse 18, He says, I shall not leave you as orphans, I am coming to you, yet a little while, and the world no longer sees me, but you shall see me, because I live, you shall live. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So remember we looked at it uh, last week, and he talked in there, not let your hearts be troubled. And then there's really the command, believe in God, believe also in me. Um, He goes through all this discussion. Uh, He's telling them some traumatic things. And remember, once again, so we understand this in context, this is the night he's going to be arrested. He has sent Judas Iscariot out. He's told him there's a betrayer. He's told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Everybody's wondering who the traitor is. They don't realize it's Judas. I mean, every, their, their emotions are going all over the place. And what he says at the very start here in our discussion tonight is, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That's some good news, isn't it? I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. Um, somebody that doesn't have a family. Uh, doesn't have a sense of really belonging. Um, That's sad, isn't it? And folks, I'm just going to pause for one second and say that's also why this family is important. Our family, our community is very important. And when you see that somebody's struggling or they're not here or, you know, reach out to them or whatever... um, because we all need each other, amen? Uh, we need each other desperately. And to know that, my goodness, that we're not going in this, through this walk in this life alone. That's horrible to have that kind of a feeling, isn't it? <clears throat> and so it's, it's encouraging to have each other. 
Um, I can't explain to you how encouraging you are to me. I can't really put that into words. Um, but you are. So he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And then he says something else. This is somewhat prophetic. They can't pick up on it yet. He goes, I'm coming to you. Future tense. But he's standing there with them. Oops. But he's standing there with them. I grew up hearing that sound when we would have uh, (laughs) communion. We would count how many times the cups would hit the floor. Um, Then I just knocked it in the floor. Sorry, my brain just kind of flies around sometimes. Um, He says, I am coming to you. I believe that what he's talking about is the resurrection and shortly thereafter. And so he's telling him, you know, don't be worried. And then he's also telling him, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan because he knows he's about to leave them. He's going to be in the ground three days, three nights. They're going to be distraught. And he's like, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm coming to you. And then he says something. He goes, in in a little while, the world's not going to see me, but you will see me. There's another hint that he's going to go away, meaning he's going to die and everything, but his disciples will see him. That's good news, isn't it? And then look what he says. He says, because I live, you shall live, future tense still. Again, the number of times he says shall is really uh, incredible in here, but there's another word, uh, a couple of words in here that are so powerful that we can't lose track of them. But he says, uh, you shall see me, and because I live, you shall live. So I think that's, he's still talking future tense about, look, I'm going to die on the cross. They don't understand that yet, but it, you're going to be lonely. You're going to think you're an orphan. You're not an orphan. I'm going to conquer the grave, and because I conquer the grave, you're going to live. Wow. Uh, They don't understand how powerful that is, but it is. And he's still talking, still, he's still continuing. He goes, in that day, what day? The day of the resurrection. He goes, in that day, you shall know that I am in the Father and, the, and, uh, and you in me and I in you. He's going under, to say, you're going to understand that I'm in the Father and we're all connected. That's cool. What He's trying to tell them, look, there, it's just going to be a, a few days. There's going to be a lot that's going to happen within a three-plus day period by the time he dies and buried and resurrected. Uh, and then the next day that he's going to have to go through the, this unbelievable torture and brutal beating and crucifixion. <clears throat> but, he's gonna, but he's saying, but just technically four days from when he's speaking, you're going to know then that I am who I've been telling you I am because they're going to see him come back to life. Pretty incredible, right? So then look, let's go on because now this next section, it's just incredible. Um, he says, he who possesses my commands and guards them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I shall love him and manifest myself to him. This is fascinating. So <clears throat> he's talking about love, and he says that if you have my commands and you guard them, 
which we understand that in other translations it uses the word keep. But the Hebrew word or the original language, what they were, what he's conveying is to guard it. Keep it doesn't necessarily mean do it. It means to guard it, make it authoritative for your life. So he says, if you have my commands and you guard them and you keep them, you're the person that actually loves me. And it's the one that loves me that I'm going to reveal myself to and the father's going to love you and you're going to love me. I'm going to manifest myself to you. Wow, it's a loaded statement. The next sentence is fascinating. This next little, because I want you to see something here. Uh, It says, Yehuda, not Judas Iscariot, this other Judas. He says to him, well, master, what has come about um, for you to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So he's like, so... What's happening and what's, a, what has ha- what's going on? Let me say it, Paul Henry phrase, paraphrase. What's going on that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? Would y'all consider that a legitimate question? Because Jesus just got through saying, you're going to see me just for a little while, but then the world's not going to see me, but then you're going to see me again. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to live. You're going to live. You know, it's all this kind of stuff. And so they're all going. And this one guy, Judas, this other Judas goes, um, uh, teach <laughs> question. Um, uh, what's going on <clears throat> that you're going to manifest yourself to us? And you know, what's fascinating. Jesus doesn't answer his question. He doesn't even answer his question. He says, what's going on that you're going to manifest yourself to us. And then this is what Jesus says. <laughs> So Yeshua answered him with this. If anyone loves me, he shall guard my word. Are you not hearing what I just said? Pay attention. Judas is concerned about what, I don't understand what's going on and you're going to manifest yourself to us and everything. And Jesus is like, focus. If you love me, you will guard what I'm saying and what I have said to you. And you will keep it you will do it. He repeats and he goes, and my father shall love him and we shall come to him and make our stay with him. He's just continuing. He who does not love me does not guard my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but of the father who sent me. Are you starting to hear this word, word, a lot? You remember me teaching that anytime you hear something repeated over and over and over again, you need to pay attention. Here it is in close proximity where he keeps saying, who has my word, guards my word, uh, keeps my word, uh, that this is paramount to showing that we actually love God. There's a lot of people that say they love God, but don't keep or guard his word. Do we actually love God if we don't keep and guard his word? According to Jesus, the answer to that is no. That's not my opinion. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. If that's the case, would you consider this important? (laughs) I mean, if Jesus said it, it should be important, right? So 
in verse 25, he says, these words I have spoken to you while still with you. Now, this is fascinating. But the helper, who all here knows who this helper is, it's the Holy Spirit, right? But the helper, the set apart spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, this is what, watch this, he shall teach you all and remind you of all, what? All that what? All that I said to you. In other words, he's going to teach you all of my words. The number one task of the Holy Spirit is to convict, teach, and remind us of everything Jesus said. He said that's why he's going to come, he's going to comfort, and he's going to remind you all and teach you of everything that I said. So as I continue to, as we continue to go through here, I want you to pay attention. Jot this down somewhere, but I want you to pay attention to how many times Yeshua uses the word word or words or what I have spoken or taught or what, something along those lines. It's everywhere in this section. He uses it so many times. At, at the end of verse 26, I jotted down this note. It says, so we see here in this section that Yeshua makes it very clear that those who love him will guard or keep his words and that the main job of the Holy Spirit is to remind them slash us of everything Yeshua said. Follow this for a second. How ironic that we believe that we don't need to keep or guard his words since we now live under grace and not the law, which is his words, and the Holy Spirit is leading us to remember his words in order that we might be able to keep them. It's sad how we have fallen into the trap of Satan and believing this idiotic, cyclical thought process. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit's going to come to remind you of everything I said and to teach you and remind you of all this stuff. And then we keep hearing, yeah, but now we live under grace. We don't live under the law. We don't need to pay attention to all that. Yet we've also talked about how that Yeshua is what the Word made flesh. He's the living Torah. And he's saying, and so, and if you don't, you can say you have them, meaning you understand them, but if you're not keeping them, you're not there yet. Does Satan know what Jesus said? I was saved out of the passage of James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well, meaning that's the Shema. He's talking to the Jewish people. You believe in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And James is saying, you believe that God is one? Whoop-de-doo. Then he says, the devil also believes and shudders. Uh, that verse brought me into the kingdom because I was raised in church. I brought up in church. Sitting there going, I know who Jesus is, but I don't know Jesus. And I could not get down to the front fast enough. It was a youth camp at Falls Creek up in Oklahoma. As a teenager. <clears throat> so let me, let, me, let me continue on here. Uh, in verse 27, so you have to turn the page. And we're going to get to, the, in other words, that, that section we were looking at was part of it 
excuse me, that is somewhat controversial because people say it, that the, it doesn't matter. And if you teach people that you should actually, excuse me, that's something on my tongue, that we should actually do what Jesus said or actually they believe in that, but if, you know, do what the Bible says, you know, strictly or whatever, they, oh, you're teaching legalism. No, we're trying to prove that we love God. It's just that simple. It's not legalism. It's not going to get you saved or even keep you saved. It's just the fruit of it. And if you're doing it to get saved, it's not going to get you saved. (laughs) I mean, that's why he says, if you love me, you will. It's like you should simply want to and not to get anything out of it other than to praise him, period. And so that part is controversial because we... Many of us as Christians are involved in this cyclical, idiotic thought process that says, well, we're not supposed to be doing that, and yet we want to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the main job of the Holy Spirit is to teach us about what Jesus said, yet we really don't want to admit what Jesus really said. Because he said what he said and meant what he said, right? Would Jesus ever lead us astray or lie to us, or could he be wrong? No. So... Uh, that's part of that one that is um, controversial and people don't understand even what we believe and what I'm trying to teach is that, no, it's not legalism. It's not about trying to be Jewish. It's about showing God that I love him and proclaiming that to the created realm instead of living like the world and calling myself a Christian. Look where that's gotten us. I mean, if you can't believe that this world's messed up, spinning out of control faster and faster and faster every day, it's because the church stopped being the church a long time ago because of that thought process. We were lured into this and bought it hook, line, and sinker. And it's corrupting the world through the church. So then let's go on with verse 27. This is this next section. It says, peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Anybody heard that before and hold on to that promise? Oh, yeah. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he's trying to warn them again. He says, don't be troubled, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you peace, shalom. And he said, You'd heard that you've, you heard that I said to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. Do you see that? He said, but they can't get it yet. They don't understand it yet. They don't have the... Uh, they, they don't have the privilege like we do of, of hindsight. And he says, if you did love me, you would have rejoiced that I said I'm going to the Father. Now here is the major stumbling block in this passage. So first of all, he says, if you really loved me, you'd be excited. Because I told you I'm going to the Father. They can't grasp the idea of guarding his words because they're so caught up in the thought that he's the Messiah and going to bring about world redemption, but not through his death. He's telling them all this. Why? Because he knows the Holy Spirit's coming, going to remind them of all these things, and he keeps repeating this so that it's important. And then he says, because I'm going to the Father, then he says this. This is huge, and we're going to camp here for a minute. For my Father is greater than I. Huh? The father is greater than the son? I thought they were equal. Many people use this verse. This is a major verse that's used to teach 
that Jesus is a created being and lesser than the Father. Jehovah's Witness will use this. Matter of fact, in a Jehovah's Witness Bible, when it talks about Jesus being God, they use the, the, little, the little G. They don't believe that he is really deity in the flesh, but a prophet. There are others that do not believe that God could become a man and that he's really that he really lived in the body of Jesus and died on the cross, just can't be. He's just, uh, you know, maybe filled with, the, he was filled with the spirit. He was endowed with the spirit of God. All, there's all these theories. Everybody trying to come up with a solution to what they think is God's problem. Seriously. So, and, and either that or, uh, you know, the Spirit of God came on him on the cross while he's up there suffering, then it went off of him. I mean, it goes on and on and on of all these different beliefs. I got a lot of notes here and some passages for you to jot down because this is charged with meaning. So he says, the Father is greater than I. If you don't understand these concepts and Jehovah's Witness people come and knock on your door, you're going to go, I just don't want to even go talk to them because I don't know how to deal with this. We jot some of this stuff down, and then maybe after tonight you will. I'm going to have to read it because I wrote a lot here. This is a very charged statement. Some like this to mean that Yeshua is a created being and therefore not God in the flesh. But there are numerous verses where Yeshua is clear that he and the Father are one and that the Father loved him, watch this, before the creation of the world. That's huge. That in itself shows that Yeshua is not merely a man or prophet, but deity in human form. He existed before creation, all creation. Jehovah's Witness people will use this verse to prove that Jesus was not God, but that he is a, a God, little g, in their Bible version. This statement by Yeshua is not about essence but it's about office and hierarchy. God operates in a logical uh, order. He's not chaotic, okay? There are also plenty of verses explaining the fact that while Yeshua was in human form, watch this, that he limited himself. He grew tired, he was hungry, prayed to the Father, and only spoke what the Father spoke to him. He grew physically like all humans and was able to physically die. He even tells us that there were things he didn't know, like the timing of his return. How is that possible? He limited himself when he was in human form. All of these limitations are easily understood in the light of his limited humanity experience. Before God took on flesh in the form of Yeshua, he had never been limited in human form. The word became flesh, like it says in 1 John, what the word was, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and what the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what it talks about there and other things there in the first chapter of John, 
What is amazing to me is that we humans get so tripped up over the idea of the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of them being God, Elohim. Watch this. If Yehovah is, in fact, the one true Elohim and above all others, why is it so difficult for us to grasp the idea that He can reveal Himself in any form He chooses, and watch this, and in as many different limited number of ways? I'm going to get off my notes just for one second. Is it okay if I rock your world a little bit? We get all hung up over this. Theologians try to explain the Trinity like he's water. Water can be liquid and gas and frozen, not all at the same time. Well, it's like an egg. You got the shell and the yolk and the white, you know, not all at the same time. They go through all of these different ways to try to explain the Trinity. You can't explain the Trinity. You can't. There's no way to explain it. But watch this. If God is God... And even in the Old Testament, uh, Jewish scholars believed in the plurality of the revelation of God. There's places in the Old Testament where you're like, is God talking to himself or is he talking about the Messiah? I mean, what's going on here? You know, uh, but beyond all that, <clears throat> I'm going to assume at least that all, if not most of us here, believe in and kind of understand the Trinity or we accept the Trinity. Nobody understands it. You can't grasp it. Can't. Why? Because God is God, we're not. Really just that simple. But I said this to somebody not that long ago, and they kind of went, kind of, because it, it's, it, I've been thinking about this for a long time. We get tripped up on three. God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit, well, he's just that, he's really that forgotten God. And we've even relegated him to somebody we pray to to show us what we should buy, sell, where we go, who, sh who we should marry, what job we should take, right? Most of the time we're praying to him, asking for guidance and all that stuff instead of what was he sent here to do? Heavenly Father, cause the Holy Spirit to cause the word of God come to life for me so that I understand and remember what my Savior said. We don't ever pray that. We're praying, God, help me with this. God, help me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, so I can speak in tongues and everything, and everything else other than what the main job was for him to come. So we can't even handle three. And we definitely don't handle it properly. But what's this mean? What is it to mean? Or, or what is it? Or, or is it possible that the limitless God could have even already revealed himself in more than three ways in the unseen realm. What if he did it 10 ways? There's 10 of them and they're all equal. We all go, and if they listen to this, go, now the pastor's really lost his mind. He's really teaching heresy now. You know, I'm just saying, what if? His name, Yahovah, the four Hebrew letters, stem from the verb which means to be or simply exist, and that all existence is possible because he exists. That's what his name means. And so then there's the four letters, 
No consonants when it says, when we pronounce it Yahovah. On the other side of the reality that we understand, to tell God you can only have three. Right? And it, so I'm going to assume that most of us here, at least, probably all, accept the Trinity. So if we already accept that there can be, or at least the duality, maybe you don't think that the Holy Spirit's really God. I don't know, but we're at least going to say two. I believe in the Trinity. If he can have three, why can't he have four? And if he can have four, why can't he have a hundred? He says, I will be what I want to be when I want to be it. I am that I am. But what's amazing is the brilliance in people where they'll take one statement that Yeshua makes and they run off with a doctrine and then they start fitting passages to fit their doctrine so they can feel good about what they already think. Which we've all done. But we're trying to unlearn that habit and just read the Bible for what it actually says. That was just a little freebie there because I've been thinking about that for a while and every now and then I'll say it to somebody and they just kind of go, what? I'm just like, well, if he can have three, why can't he have four? Why can't he have five? Why, well, why not have 12? Why not have 10 or 500? I mean, he's limitless. Um, so now watch this. This is amazing. Um, and here's something else you need to remember before I go into that when talking about maybe more forms of God, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. Did you know that? The Bible tells us everything we need for this life and how to worship God and get along, but it doesn't tell us everything. There are things we don't know. Um, so just keeping that in mind. Now watch this. As far as Jesus and Yeshua, is he really God or not? Uh, and I'm not going to chase everything because there are multitude of books and stuff written on this. But I like to keep things simple. I'm a simple guy. I'm a carpenter. Like, show me the box. Show me what we're... Let's, can we just build this and not make this too complicated? Um, so let's just keep this simple tonight. We're not there yet. In John chapter 17, you need to jot this down. John 17, which is actually the Lord's Prayer. The other one's a model prayer. John 17 is actually the words of Jesus praying. When we get there, we'll actually march through it. But in John 17, verse 5, watch this. In verse 5, he makes an incredible statement. So this is Yeshua speaking to the Father. Let's not even just say at this point that we agree that he's really God. Let's just leave that open for a second and just listen to what he says. So he's praying to God the Father, and he says, And now uh, glorify me or esteem me with yourself, Father, with the esteem or glory which I had with you before the world was. So he's saying, Father, I want you to glorify me with the same glory that I had with you, the same glory you had that I had that we had before creation. Um, you would think that'd be plenty to kind of just say, okay, end of argument. 
But right here, Yeshua is praying to the Father and saying, at this point now, I want you to give me the glory that I had when I was with you and the glory you had when we were together right before the world was ever created, before the physical realm came into being, before there was a physical realm, right? Um, Watch what it says in Philippians. Jot this one down, Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. This is talking about Jesus. And it says, Who being in the form of God did not regard equality with God a matter to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and came to be in the likeness of men. So he's saying, first of all, before he took on flesh, Jesus had the form of God and he didn't consider God or that form something he needed to go get because he already was. That's what it's saying. And then it said, and then after that, he limited himself and became like a man, took on the form of mankind. And then it says in verse Eight, and having been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death of a stake or cross. <clears throat> so that should be enough, you would think. He's saying, look, now remember that this is describing to us and explaining to us how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and how that worked. You following me? In other words, when the book of Philippians was written, Paul didn't really realize this is the Bible. He's writing a letter to explain what's going on. Does that make sense? And he's explaining the fact that Jesus, in eternity past, was in the form of God, and that wasn't something that he thought he needed to go get, something that he had to have, in other words, and that when he was in that form, it was decided that he would take on the form of a man and then die on the cross. And he limited his holiness, his godliness, his omnipotence, his omniscience, which means all-knowing. He grew up, there was a time when he was a baby. He learned to walk and all these other things. It wasn't because at that time he wasn't God. He was fully God, fully man, but he needed to understand and live like us completely so he could what? sympathize with us on all matters. Now, there's another reference, and watch this. And this one is also used to say, you see, God the Father is bigger than God the Son. And it's in the book of Daniel. Jot this one down. Daniel chapter 7, it's verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14 says this, And I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." 
So right here, people will refer to that and say, well, yeah, we believe that's Jesus and now pay attention because he is brought before the Father, presented to the Father in this grand throne room. He's given this great uh, throne. He's seated next to the Father. He's given all these dominions and all these kingdoms and powers and all this stuff. So you see, he's lesser than the Father. So he has to be a created being. So when the scripture says he's the only begotten of the Father, God made him. Folks, this vision that Daniel is seeing, and I'm not saying that it's not something literal that either already has or is happening or will happen, um, but it is describing a legal transfer of authority you remember through our teachings, <clears throat> there's been this war. Satan was mad. He's mad at God, but mad at God about what? Us. Um, and <clears throat> he tainted the world and tainted humanity. And so God created the Jewish people to do what? To be his nation, his inheritance, so that he could redeem the world and bring all the nations back underneath his rule. This picture here, this state, let me just read it before I get to off, off course. This states that this son of man was presented before Yahweh, the ancient of days, the throne was given to him. This is not showing that he's less than Yahweh, but that the restoration of the rule over all the nations was and will be complete and never come to an end again. Ever. Um. Let me, let me read this before I get way too far off. So then there's something else in your New Testament in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says, Because in him were created all that are in the heavens and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or rulerships, principalities, or authorities all have been created through him and for him, and he is before all, and in him all hold together. So right here in Colossians, it says that everything that was created, both the visible and the invisible, Jesus created it. He's the speaking agent that created everything, including all the angelic beings, right? That's what it says, and that he was before everything, and that everything is held together in him. That's what it says. Paul is explaining it to us, that this is who Jesus really is. We don't have to read it, but you can just jot down Genesis 1. So Genesis 1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have a real big problem. If Jesus isn't God, then every bit of your New Testament is wrong. Every bit of it. And as far as salvation, I just say good luck. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Just, you know, good luck. If he's not God and he's just a mere man, then that means he could have made a mistake, and that would mean his sacrifice not sufficient. 
It's just this incredible domino effect. Jesus himself also said over and over and over again, I and the Father are one. Now, we're not there yet. It's actually in the other gospel accounts, but in this gospel account, uh, the trial part is condensed. But if you remember when Jesus is arrested, uh, they ask him, you know, are you the Messiah? And he goes, I am. What is that? The high priest tears his robe and says, what else do we need to hear? We've heard it come out of his own mouth. In other places where they were trying to arrest him, he's like, what are you trying to arrest me for what I'm doing? He says, we're not trying to arrest you for anything you've done. We, we want to arrest you because of what you see. You're making yourself equal with God. It's blasphemy. The Pharisees who were trying to kill him understood what he was saying. You're making yourself equal with God. In the Gospel of John, it does say that they, they said, we, we, don't have a, we have a law to, to kill him, but we can't kill him, and we need to kill him because he's calling himself the Son of God. They understood what that meant. It didn't mean a prophet. It didn't mean somebody that just God created. It didn't mean an angel. They understood, no, you're calling yourself equal with God. Now watch this. I read that passage out of Daniel. When Jesus is being, when he's arrested and all that, and they're asking about that, he, he says, I tell you the truth, you will about, you're about to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And they knew their Bible and knew exactly what this reference was. And this is what Jesus was talking about saying, you're about to see me fulfill this prophecy. And they go, whoa, he's committing blasphemy. We need to kill him. I mean, the religious leaders knew that he was calling himself God. That's why they were hating him. The apostles believed that he was God in the flesh. Yeah, we've got a lot of people today, they're like, well, I don't know, man. That's just, I don't know if I can, God doesn't do those kinds of things. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I believe that he was a good prophet and all, but God, I can't quite go there. What you would be shocked about is to find out how prominent that is among Christians. And you know who else fall into this trap? Messianics. Because everything becomes the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, the Father, and then they trip up over this Trinity thing. I've had Messianic people tell me this. Oh, I, I, I believe in salvation. I believe he's the way. But God, mm, no, you know what? I think it was really the father. I think he's, he's the father. And I go, well, you're really kind of mincing words, aren't you? Because he said, I and the father are one. And that doesn't make sense either because why would he be praying to himself, asking for stuff? And why would he be saying, I only say the things I see my father I hear my father saying, and I only do the things I see my father. Is he looking at himself in a mirror? And then just repeating what he said the night before? Uh, that sounds almost schizophrenic or something. Um, we can't think in terms of a being having the power to manifest himself in numerous ways and not be less in essence. But it can be a diversity of function. Function. 
not essence. That's why it's so sad that we water down the Holy Spirit to the way we've watered him down. Francis Chan wrote a great book. You ought to read it if you hadn't called The Forgotten God. You need, really need to read it. It's an older book, but it's powerful, powerful book. You should read it. Um, so <clears throat> I, I hope that this helps, but I want to show you. He doesn't stop there. There's more. In verse 29, says, says, and now I have told you before it takes place that when it does take place, you shall believe. That is huge, huge. We just pass right over it. Watch this. This is so cool. This statement is so powerful. Yahweh stated that there's no other Elohim, no other God like him who can declare things that have not yet come to pass. This issue, watch this, of being outside of time. Time. It is the most powerful thing in existence, except for God because he's outside of it. But anyways, time, he's outside of, outside of time. This issue of being outside of time is the one unique aspect of Yahovah and verification of that truth. Here Yeshua declares the same proof that when these things take place, just as he had said, that they would believe. Now, I want you to notice he's not saying, I'm telling, right here he's not even saying, I'm telling you, he's told us before that these are the words of the Father. But right now he's saying, I'm telling you these things so that when it does happen, you're going to believe that I, that I am who I am. It's the same thing that God the Father said in the Old Testament. He really throws the gauntlet down. I am God, there's no other like me. He literally says, bring them out. Let them Show me somebody that can declare the end of the beginning. In Isaiah, these are found in Isaiah. You might want to jot them down. Isaiah 46, 5, where he says, To whom do you liken me and compare me and make me similar that we should be alike? You skip down to verse 9, he says, Remember the former events of old. You've heard me quote this before. For I am El. I am God. There is none. There is no one else. Elohim, God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from of old, that which has not yet been done, saying, my counsel does stand and all my delight I do. God throws down the gauntlet and says, you show me somebody else that can declare to you the future events before they've ever happened, because that's my power in doing. Here, Yeshua uses the exact same qualification so that they will know that he really is in the Father. He says, I'm telling you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will know and you will believe. Believe what? That I'm God and that I came and that I died for your sins and brought about your salvation. So then he says, uh, I shall no longer walk or talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And watch this. And he has... And, and he possesses none at all in me, but in order that the world will know that I love the Father uh, and that the Father commanded me, so I am doing, so rise up, let us go. So what I want you to see here is that Yeshua here is clearly saying that Satan and the rulers that are under his guiding, they have no legal authority over him, but he's going to willingly allow himself to be murdered for our sake 
to prove that he loves the Father and is the true prophet, priest, king, Messiah, and one with the Father. This Savior we follow is none other than God in the flesh. None other than God in the flesh. This God said, if you love me, you will keep and guard my word. You'll have it, you'll know it, you'll guard it. And if you're truly mine, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and his main job is to remind you and teach you of everything that I said. How bizarre, how idiotic for us to think that we're going to pray to the Holy Spirit to do almost the opposite and that we don't need to even remember what he said and take what he said literally. It's, it's amazing. And yet, here's what's really wild, and I want you to see this. Satan doesn't want you to understand this. Because when we really grasp it, we will want to do what God wants so that we can show him we love him and once again punch the devil in the eye because he said, this is how the world's going to know that you love me. And so Satan is still saying, well, but you know, that's not really what he meant. The same thing he's told Eve. The same lie. We keep buying into it, even in the church. And we, we turned the third person of the Trinity into this guy that's like, hey, can you... And I'm not saying he doesn't help us with those things, but my goodness, compared to knowing what God said, Jesus, and following what he said and getting a new car, getting the right new car, which one's more important? Yeah, hands down, buying the right house, what, whatever it is. And doesn't God help us with that stuff all the time before we even ask anyways? I mean, keep us out of trouble when we didn't even ask. You, you look back and go, that was a close one, thanks. And all your angels are like, yeah, well, that's what you think. We had that covered you know, years ago. You're fine, man. We're, it's okay. If we could just see and operate in the realm that God wants us to, we'd live our lives differently, wouldn't we? God loves you. He loves you so much that he brought himself to the earth to die on the cross for you and I. For you and I. And he limited himself and he took on flesh. Now watch this. He will have that forevermore. About 2,000 years ago, in our time, God took on flesh. A limitless God took on about a six-foot-tall human body that would get hot and sweat, cold and shiver, hunger, would grow tired, weary, his heart would get troubled, he had emotions, he would weep, died on the cross, scars in his hands and feet and side, resurrected and tells Thomas, stick your hand in here, stick your hand in here, it's me. 
and then even eats. Says he'll come back bodily to receive us, reign and rule on this earth. The earth will be changed and we will reign and rule with him on this earth forever. We will not reign in place of him, but we will reign with him as imagers of the Most High God. He in us, us in him, together. You see, Satan and his demons in Genesis chapter 6 tried to taint humanity to destroy humanity. You have to go read that for yourself. Where all the giants and all that stuff come from. Where you had these angels that mixed with women. Where do you think Greek mythology came from? Okay? So they had these hybrid offspring. God dealt with that in the flood. But then later, God said, you know what? Satan's always trying to mess everything up. I'm going to become man to redeem man. Satan tried to enter the human DNA genome to destroy man. God, our creator, if you will, commingled with humanity to save humanity. So the perfect God-man will be our representative on this new heaven and new earth. It'll never get messed up again, ever. That is so cool, isn't it? But once again, it can't happen perfectly if he's not really God and really man. None of it even fits. Um, And you might as well throw out your whole New Testament and good luck. Um, But I'm here to tell you that the Bible has plenty of proof that he really was God, he really is God. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. And he's not lesser than the Father in essence. He's lesser in the Father as far as as functionality, office, responsibility, but not in essence. He loves you, died for you, rose again, coming back to get us. That's some good news, isn't it? And he hasn't left us as an orphan. And watch this. He gave you and I the Holy Spirit to remind you and I and teach us what he said. I hope that'll change the way you're praying or will pray in the future. Holy Spirit, help me understand and remember what my Savior said so that I can guard what he said and show him how much I love him. Doesn't that make more sense? If you love something, you cherish it. If you truly love something, you desire it and you do whatever it takes to get it. I love fly fishing. I do. Everybody here knows it. I love to fly fish. I got fly fishing stuff all in my office right now. I got stuff scattered everywhere. The other day, you could have seen me out practicing with my rod and fly line, nothing on it, just making sure everything was ready to go, you know, for our vacation. I love to fly fish. The things you love, you'll really pursue. If we truly, truly, truly loved God, we would pursue Him and pursue His words. And we would be praying, Holy Spirit, help me remember what He said so that I can honor Him 
which is the same reason for wearing the tassels to help us to remember to want to remember what he said. Same reason for wearing the ring to remind us all the time. I'm married, spoken for. Don't look that way. Don't do those dumb things. It's the same thing. Your God loves you, and he, he wants to have this relationship with you. And it's not about you just doing stuff. It's about loving him. And I hope that we will all learn to do that better and better every day. Amen.